0: Amen. Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a copy of God's word in front of you to Matthew chapter 5. And if you need a Bible, pull it up on your phone. Do we just want God's word in front of you? If you're newer to the Bible, the book of Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament, but join me there if you would. Um, we finish our summer series through the Beatitudes today. Uh, next week, we will just have a standalone sermon, and then in two weeks, we begin our fall series uh, through the book of Ephesians. And I am thrilled. For us to walk through this together. If you've ever studied the book of Ephesians, you know the richness that is there. Um, I love the way the Lord and His providence has broken that book up. The first half of the book is all of the things Christ has done for us and all the promises we just get to rest in because of what He's done. And so for the first half of that series, we are going to rest in all of the promises of what it means to be in Christ, and then in the second half of the book, in light of those things, now how shall we live as followers of him? And so my hope is as we walk through that this fall, we'll be equipped uh, to rest in Christ and to walk with Christ in a great way. So that's where we're headed throughout this fall. Um, As we come to our last beatitude today, let me just make a a statement about the structure of the beatitudes and, and kind of an interpretive decision I had to make and how I taught it. If you read really great biblical scholars, uh, some will say there's eight beatitudes, some will say there's nine beatitudes, and it all has to do with how you interpret this last chunk that we are going to look at today. And uh, the way I interpret it is that there is one beatitude here, blessed are those who are persecuted, and then Jesus expands on that beatitude a bit. Uh, some men and women, way smarter than I, think there's nine beatitudes on it. Whether you think there's eight, whether you think there's nine, here's what we can't miss. We can't can't miss the message that Jesus has for us today. Of those whom these beatitudes craft the character of, will experience persecution in this world. Now, before I read uh, the, the the passage we're going to teach from today, let me just ask this. If these beatitudes are formed in us, if Christ is forming our hearts into a citizen of of his kingdom and we are becoming in Christ people who uh, mourn over our sin and who are meek and, and who hunger and thirst for righteousness and who are merciful and who are pure in heart and who are peacemakers, who wouldn't love people like that? Who wouldn't love people increasingly growing into the likeness of Christ. And the reality is, all we have to do is look back 2,000 years later at Christ himself to see how culture interacts with this. Because what we've said all along is that these Beatitudes, what Christ is doing is he begins the most famous sermon he ever preached, is he's describing for us the character of those who are citizens of his kingdom. We've not taught these as a list of commands in which we got to try to muster up strength to follow. We've taught these as when Christ takes over a heart, here is what he is working in that heart. But what we need to understand, family, is that as Christ molds us into a citizen of his kingdom, it will rub against and it will uh, come at odds with the kingdom of the culture in which we live. And any time, all we have to do is read the headlines and look at history. Any time two kingdoms collide, they war with one another. And as we come to this building block upon building block through the Beatitudes, Jesus culminates his Beatitudes with this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And here's what I want us to see today, that kingdom character, the character of the kingdom of God, kingdom character, will bring conflict with culture. And so uh, the three ways I just kind of want to work through this passage here today, three questions I want to work us through. What is persecution? What is persecution? What isn't persecution? How do we come to an understanding of what persecution is? The second, how should we respond to it? So it seems scripturally and it seems even uh, through the words of Jesus that this isn't a matter of if we experience, it's a matter of when we experience and how should the believer, the Jesus follower, respond to it when it comes. And then the third, why in the world can we respond the way Jesus tells us to? Why can we respond that way? So let me pray and ask God's help and then let the word speak for itself. Father, uh, we come now And we need to submit ourselves under your word. We are not the authority, you are. Lord, I think I have good ideas for life, I don't, you do. Lord, I want to read into things, read into your word things that aren't there because, Lord, it's just who I am and my fallibility. Lord, please, will your word go forth rightly? Would we not make it say something it doesn't? And would we not miss any tiny grain of beauty that you have for us in this? Lord, would we hear it right so that we can respond to it rightly? Would you tune our hearts to the promptings of your spirit as your word goes forth? God, most of all, will you help us right now? We need to be equipped We need to be taught. We need to be instructed. We need to listen to you. And thank you that you've given us your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed, Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is persecution? Persecution is any attack, any assault, whether it be physically, whether it be verbally, that comes against us because of our faith. And I want want you to understand something, that Jesus didn't just say, blessed are are those who are persecuted. There are some words he uh, attached on the end of that. Blessed are those who are persecuted for what? For righteousness' sake. Uh, you and I, no doubt, have met people and I've certainly had conversations with people through the years where they go, man, I'm just being so persecuted right now. I'm just, people are coming against me and people are hating me and people are like, I'm so persecuted right now. And, and if I was, you know, more bold at times, I'd say, no, you're, you're, you're not experiencing persecution for righteousness sake. You're just a jerk. <laughs> and you're kind of just experiencing the fruit of being a jerk. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus said the the persecution that begets or leads to blessedness is the persecution that's directly stemming from seeing more of Jesus formed in you, to becoming more sanctified in Him, to having a growing hunger for righteousness. To want to have a heart that is right before the Lord and wanting to live in a way that's right before the Lord as God's word lays it out. Blessed are those who are hungering after that. Blessed are those who are persecuted because more of Jesus is being formed in who you are. And if more of Jesus is being formed in you, there's no way you will walk the years on this broken earth here Spared of persecution. Jesus himself said so. John 15 and verse 20 says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He's like, if you're going to follow me, if I'm really going to be your master, and you're going to follow in the way I walked, and you're going to seek to have my heart formed in your heart, If they persecuted me, what makes you think you can somehow bypass it? If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, what is... Persecution. You know, I think as we come to this topic, immediately and rightfully so, we think of our brothers and sisters around the world who experience uh, the physical effects of persecution. I'm going to read a story for us in a, in a minute here. The physical effects of persecution and how for their faith in Jesus Christ, they come under severe dangers. Uh, the threats of, of beatings and imprisonments and being murdered. And rightfully so, and we need to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who live in places where that is a reality. As we come to verse 11, I think Jesus expands on this a bit and helps us get at an understanding of of what's he talking about when he talks about persecution. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. And so part of this reality of persecution is to be reviled. What does it mean to revile? To revile is to criticize in an abusive or angry way. And so if, if you've ever found yourself amongst a group whether it be in a class or in a workplace or even amongst family and friends, and uh, as you have pursued righteousness in your life or if you, if you have, as you have taken a humble and loving stance, humble and loving yet firm stance on what you believe God lays out as righteousness, and you have found yourself criticized in an abusive or angry way, you know what it's like to be reviled. That's painful, You know what it's like if you have taken any sort of stand as a believer at some point to be amongst a group in which uh, the biblical opinion is not the popular opinion. And you may have experienced what it feels like to be reviled. Uh, I think even more painful yet is what he goes on to say. Um, Blessed are you when others revile and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Is there anything Maybe there is, but there's not many things more painful than to be falsely accused. I have enough junk of my own that's true. I don't need anyone making up false things to go with it. Who's with me? The, the pain of that, and Jesus says, the reality is to faithfully follow after me may lead to times of false accusations, of people coming after you. Making things up. Now, why does this happen? Why, in parts of the world, are there physical attacks on Jesus' followers? Why is there reviling? Why is there making up of falsehoods? Uh, one missionary friend who's done a lot of work amongst the unreached, he said it like this, and I love his succinct summary of the goal of persecution. He says this: the goal of persecution is to silence the witness. That's the goal. The enemy's goal for persecution is to silence your witness. And that's the tactic he will employ so that fear will rise to the level where your witness for Jesus will be tamped down, will be suppressed. Let me read of one of his tactics. Uh, Currently, I got a ministry, a great missions organization called the For All Mankind Movement Doing great disciple-making work amongst the unreached. They sent out an urgent prayer update that it came into my inbox about a week and a half ago. From uh, f- it was a prayer update for their workers in a certain state in India, Odisha uh, state in India, and uh, the believers' houses are being burned and plundered. Their place of worship burned down. And this is a story from Odisha. Uh, Pastor Bana is one of our district leaders in Western Odisha. He started a story group. That's what they call their evangelistic Bible studies. He started a story group in a certain village that's hosted by two Christian families. There are nine believers in the story group. One evening, while Pastor Bono was with the families for a prayer meeting, a young woman named Tandi was brought into the home by her parents. Tandi was filled with an evil spirit. Tandi's parents were devout Hindus and worshiped their idols faithfully, but nothing they did could set their daughter free. So they asked Pastor Bona the prayer group to pray for her. As the believers prayed, they could see the peace of God wash over Tandi's face and she began to return to normal. Seeing this change, her family started attending the story group regularly and learning more about Jesus. But Tandi was not completely healed. She still had occasional problems. For her to have total freedom from the evil spirit, she needed the spirit of God to dwell inside of her. When Tandi later heard the gospel in the group and prayed to accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, she was completely delivered. She had full peace in her right mind. She wanted to be baptized. It seemed that everything was working out perfectly. Then two weeks ago, Pastor Bana visited the village again. All of a sudden, Tandi's husband, Milan, appeared and confronted Pastor Bana in the street. He slapped Bana across the face and said, What do you think you're doing? You people are preaching the gospel of Jesus and making people Christians. Even my own wife, I'm going to kill you for this. Milan grabbed an axe from nearby and began chasing Pastor Bana around the village. Bana ran to a friend's home and hid in his closet. Somehow, he was able to escape the village and return home safely. When he shared the story with us, Pastor Bana said, and here's his prayer, please pray for Tandi's husband, that God may change his heart, and that he will also come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Please also pray for the protection of my family, and that God will use us for many more days to come to reach people who have never heard the name of Jesus. So a wife gets saved, and a husband comes at the missionary with an axe. Why does the enemy orchestrate an axe attack on a faithful minister of the gospel, so that fear will rise up and the witness will go down? But let me tell you something, you ain't keeping Bon out of that village. He'll be back. But the goal of persecution is to silence the witness. And now we hear stories like that, and I pray we pray for the workers on the fields like that, and I also want to, and I think the the knee-jerk reaction can be is, man, we don't experience persecution where we live. And I would agree with you, we don't experience it like that. But let me ask this, if the goal of persecution is to silence the witness, where do you find yourself in environments where, like, you feel the effects of your witness being silenced? And as you sit in that class or that, uh, you know, that, that, that course you're in at school or the workplace in which you work or amongst your family, amongst friends, I, when you feel that, I want you to ask yourself, why do I feel this angst, this tension over not being bold to witness for Jesus Christ? What's contributing to that? And I think all of us have sat in environments like that. I remember my class, you know, in my undergrad and on the historical Jesus. For those of you who don't know, I I didn't go to a Christian college, and so uh, the class on the historical Jesus was everything opposite of what I read in this book about who the historical Jesus is. And I just remember this PhD in front of me, smarter man than I'll ever be, and he's telling me this, that, and the other who Jesus is, and I'm like, uh, Mark 4.12 actually says, And, you know, all the classmates are like, what a loser. Get Bible Thumper out of here. And, like, I just remember being in my dorm room, like, like 19, 20 years old. Like, Lord, like, will I I really show up again tomorrow and be like, yeah, but Luke 17 says. And feel all the looks of the people and watch the PhD. He's a PhD. I'm a 19-year-old loser. Watch him roll his eyes. We feel that. I'm smiling because there's more stories, but I can't. I can't. (laughs) I can't. You feel it potentially in your workplace. I mean, how many people I've talked to through the years who work in different, you know, just have different fields? And they say, man, I so wish I could just be more open about my faith, but if I then, dot, dot, dot. And now, let me just caveat this. I know it's easy for me to say, boldly witness for the Lord Jesus Christ in your occupation. I know it's easy for me to say, because I get paid to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to ask yourself a question the next time you feel that tension. Is my allegiance to my Lord and Savior and the witness of His good news to all mankind, or is my allegiance more to holding on to this occupation? I know that's not an easy thing I'm raising. I'm just trying to get us to feel what is it that's going on? What are the dynamics that are going on when we find ourselves in places and we feel that tension squeezing in on us? Don't be bold to witness for Jesus here. You'll be reviled. You could lose your livelihood. You could strain these relationships. You could whatever it is. The goal of persecution is to silence the witness. Don't let fear tamp it down. So, if we're really going to follow him, and we're really going to take stands for righteousness, and we're really going to go the places he leads to go and say the things he says to say, then how should we respond to it? How should we respond When persecution comes, when we are reviled, when there are false accusations, when we lose something because of it, when it costs us, when there's even potentially physical harm that comes, how should the Jesus follower respond to it when it comes, Jesus tells us. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he begins, verse 12, four little words. What's it say? Rejoice Rejoice and be glad. How does the Jesus follower respond when they come under attack for their faith? The Jesus follower rejoices and is glad in it, and that sounds, like, trust me, that sounds like such a Christian platitude. Dave, man, I know life's hard, rejoice, brother. It sounds like such a platitude. And at times it can come across as unhelpful in the moment, and yet what we have here, Jesus, what do we do when it happens? You know what you do? You rejoice and be glad. What is the response of the Jesus follower to be when our faith comes under attack? We rejoice and we be glad. We're not shocked by it. Why don't we have to be shocked by it? He told us it will happen. I mean, right, how much have we seen within the Christian community as like our faith comes under attack? We're just like, oh my goodness, can you believe this is happening? I'm like, yes. (laughs) Like the answer is yes. I don't like it but he said it was gonna happen. The response is to rejoice and be glad. Our human response when we come into situations that can well up fear in us is what? Fight or flight, they say. How many fighters do I got in the room? How many flighters do I got in the room? I, I say I'm a fighter, but I'm for sure a flighter. I was cleaning out a little barn on our property, getting it ready for chickens, we're pumped for that. And uh, it was a mess and I'm cleaning it out and the bats love this little barn. And I hate bats. And so I walked in like yesterday, I walked in, I looked up at their after, I this, said, this is my barn. You're just living in it and I will not be scared of you. And I'm over there shoveling stuff out and one little devil worshiper just starts going nuts. And then, you know, screeching at me and I am like, I just high-tailed it out of there. And you get outside the barn, you look, did my wife, did my kid, no one saw. Okay, like, I'm walking back in with my boys later, like, boys, come here, let me show you some bats. You gotta, it'll be tough. I'm for sure a runner. The response of the Jesus follower is not fight. How much have we seen that lately, too? It's all get in a room, lead a coup you never see the early church in a room planning a coup. You just don't. And yet how many of us think, oh, let's just, let's just run. Let's just get out of here. Let's just avoid that. No, no, you never see the early church running. What do you see? You see exactly what Jesus said here. Look at what in Acts 5 here. You can, it'll be on the screen. You can stay right where you are. And when they had called in the apostles... They beat them. How much when I read the book of Acts do so I just gloss over those words right there? Oh yeah, they got called in, they got beat. They beat them. They beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Then they left. How did they respond to it? How did the apostles respond to that beating and that instruction, don't do it? When they left the presence of the council, Rejoicing. There seems to be this outflow of rejoicing. Why are they rejoicing? They're rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They're like, My Savior went to the cross. He gave his life. We just got beat for his name. Rejoice. And yet they didn't run. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They didn't fight back. They heard the instruction, you better not be talking about this Jesus guy anymore. They're like, praise the Lord, we just got a swift beating. What town do you guys wanna go talk about Jesus in next? There's no fight back, there's praising and being glad, and there's no retreating from the mission. Uh, Look at what we see in Acts 16. I'm talking about how is it even possible for us to rejoice and be glad in the midst of persecution? Uh, Paul, Silas, and uh, the jail in Philippi. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Like these dudes are nuts. It's midnight. They're in jail, and they're like, "You want to worship? You want what? What hymn? How great is our God?" Chris Tomlin, you want that one? (laughs) Let's go. They're singing. Look at what we find embedded in the richness of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property." Again, we read that, but I'm picturing myself, this country in which I live, coming to a place where our, my property is plundered just for the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm just picturing Erica and I, like, walking down our driveway as they're just burning our house, like, high fiving. Yeah. Let's go! <laughs> and I'm not saying that their joyful response was all in high fives, and, and, but it says, They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. How? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That's it. How do we respond this way? So what is persecution? And how are we to respond? And then this third question, why in the world can we possibly respond like that? Why can we respond that way? Because of the promises that Jesus attaches to it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why can we respond like that? Because we have the kingdom. The Beatitudes bookended with these promises. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last Beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus, how is that blessing? Because you have the kingdom. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Really, Jesus, how? Why? For your reward is great in heaven. We are not ultimately citizens of this earth. Our citizenship is laid up in heaven with Christ. It's what makes us crazy. Come plunder our things. It's not ultimately my things anyway. Come inflict pain. Kill me if you want. It's gain You're just doing me a favor. I get to go be with Jesus. This sounds loony to the world. And yet it's so biblical. And all week I have felt the tension of, do I actually believe it? Do I actually believe it? I can pull some notes back from seminary classes and I can get the best commentaries out on my desk in front of me and I can get a nice little latte right there and I can exegete the passage. Do I believe it though, Brock? Do you really believe persecution for righteousness sake is blessedness? Do you really believe it's worth it? Because here's the reality. All of us in this room will sacrifice for things. And we will all sacrifice for the things that we believe the reward is so much greater and so much more valuable than the pain of the sacrifice. Do we believe the kingdom is so valuable that our citizenship being laid up there, that the rewards of heaven are so supremely valuable I will take firm, loving, and humble stands For the, right, the cause of righteousness And I will go anywhere that Jesus tells me to go And I will say anything that Jesus tells me to say Do we believe that? obey to say hard things in this culture when it needs to be said lovingly to take firm stands in our day when it needs to be taken lovingly to go hard places to go to the hells on earth for the advancement of the gospel the kingdom go forth. And now on that one, I want to make a note because I I know often when I bring that up, like, would we go to a place like this village in India where to see people come to know the Lord can lead to you being chased around by axes? And I know, like, so quickly our response is that, but I'm not called to that. I'm not called to places like that. And, and I wanna tell you, I, I agree with you. For the majority of the room, I believe we are where we are and God has led us where he's led us. And for the 99% of us in this room, what God wants us to walk out of here with today is when persecution happens in this context, in this culture, when you're reviled, when you're spoken falsely against, when you lose jobs, when it costs you Would you rejoice and be glad in the midst of this right here in this culture where God has you? We need that. And yet, I'm just asking the Lord this week that there might be 10% of you here. There might be 10 of you who walk through the doors today. Who would say, what if God has called me to a place like that? What if I am to go to the fields amongst the unreached where it's dangerous, where it's hard, where to speak the name of Jesus will lead to persecution? And again, people are like, yeah, but we're not all called to that. I know, but the problem of American Christianity isn't, is not that too many of us are going who should be staying. It's too many of us are staying who should probably be going. mamas and daddies, when your 20-year-old walks up to you and says, he's called me, don't talk him out of it. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. people come up and say he's calling me I gotta go we say let's send you let's pray over you and let's ask our good and gracious God to protect you but you go for the good of the name of Jesus for the advancement of his kingdom and for the fulfillment of the great commission I know For 99% of us here today, this will be lived out in our south suburb context and that is equally as righteous in the sight of God. But I felt strongly this week to make an appeal to the Tenia who might be called from the south suburbs of Indianapolis to southern Africa and to South Asia and to South America. And so, church, stand with me. The beatitudes of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The character of those who are citizens of His kingdom. The character that will grade against the character of our culture the King of kings and the Lord of lords says this is what he's fashioning in the hearts of his followers and this is what it means to live a blessed life blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, let me double down on this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, church, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus. Form this in our hearts. Would we reject as ultimate the citizenship of this world? And would you form us from the heart out into citizens of your kingdom? I pray this in your powerful and precious name. Amen. Redeemer, you're loved your sin.